Let's say you're adding or updating a service or a microservice to an existing system. You want to monitor the performance of the service and the performance impact of the whole system. Omri Sass joins the show today to talk about monitoring of services. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. PyCharm saves me time. Error highlighting lets me know as soon as I type a mistake. Code completion and parameter hint pop-ups save me from having to look stuff up. The Git integration makes all of my Git workflows super easy. And then you get a whole bunch of bonus features like the database front end that are super cool. And a super fast debugger. I wonder how PyCharm will save you time. Find out yourself at testandcode.com slash PyCharm. Welcome to Testing Code. On today's episode of Testing Code, I'm super excited to finally have Omri on. You're from uh, Datadog. I guess I should ask your name first, but is it SAS? Yes. My brother and I are both in tech, and we get the uh, software as a service uh, question fairly often. But it's spelled different. It's like the programming language instead, right? Yep. We were going to talk about uh, monitoring because I, I actually don't really know much about monitoring and also about kind of how it's changed with the, some of the, the more microservices and stuff. But um, before we jump into that, can you tell me a little bit who you are? Sure. So my name's Omri Sass, not spelled like software as a service. Um, I've been with Datadog for about two and a half years. I'm a senior product manager in our APM department. That's application performance monitoring. It's traditionally been considered one of the three pillars of observability as a kind of core principle of uh, monitoring. And we'll, we'll get into that um, in, in this capacity. Um, I, I, do product management, or I provide product management for all of our teams that revolve around service observability. So how do we reason about uh, services, applications in a microservice or hybrid environment? Um, how do we get health metrics, detection capabilities, auto detection capabilities, uh, remediation, et cetera, um, for your applications and how that integrates with other types of monitoring infrastructure monitoring, network monitoring, et cetera. And we'll, we'll kind of talk through these um, as we talk more broadly. Uh, prior to Datadog, I was a product manager for Wirecutter, uh, one of the New York Times uh, smaller public, uh, publications. Um, and before that, I was a product manager for uh, data product at First Media. So kind of got a taste of a lot of world of product management. Okay. And, w- and uh, what, is product, what is a product manager versus, you know, so what is your day like? Do you work, talk with customers? Do you work with engineers? Are you planning things? So it's, uh, it's the question I get asked the most. <laughs> the best answer I can give you is uh, via an analogy. Um, and m- maybe it's because I, I grew up with kind of the relevant folks at home. But um, a product manager is kind of like a music producer, uh, but for software. So we don't do the actual software ourselves, right? Like no one wants me to do any type of coding. They, that scares everyone. Um, but I make sure that the people who actually do the art, right? And art and science 
of coding that they're working on the right things, that they have the right context, um, that they understand what our users want. Um, and in that, I spent about a third of my time uh, meeting customers, potential partners, um, et cetera, about a third of my time with our engineers, um, and then about a third of uh, my time making sure that everything else kind of goes smoothly, uh, working with marketing, working with um, kind of other internal bodies within Datadog um, to make sure that our product is like well understood and, and well supported across the board. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Uh, so something like, uh, so when I hear about monitoring, there's, I mean, there's a whole bunch in that range. I also hear about telemetry. So is there, is that the same thing or is there a difference between monitoring and telemetry? So I, I'd say there's a higher, right? Well, telemetry is the actual data, right? We extract telemetry uh, from applications, from infrastructure, from third parties, from integrations, et cetera. All of these um, provide the basis for monitoring because monitoring isn't just uh, the data itself. It's also the capability to make sense of it and in a lot of cases uh, to act on it. So visualizing that telemetry or creating uh, what a data dog we call monitors, right? So the ability to create an alert if a certain type of telemetry under certain conditions uh, crosses a threshold, right? It's too high or it's too low or it doesn't exist anymore. Um, all of those sort of things fall under the umbrella of monitoring. So telemetry is the data, monitoring is what we can do with that data. Okay. And so this has always been a thing, but it, it seems like it's more, I mean, it, maybe I'm just stating the obvious, but as companies become more and more reliant on uh, their web presence and their applications through the, through the web, uh, this is more and more important because, you know, having your, any part of your services go down is, is like maybe having a store not being able to be open or something. And then there's been changes. You know, I, get, I don't even remember when it was. A few years ago or something, we were talking about monolith architectures versus microservices. And we don't really, I don't really hear that much anymore because I think it's sort of a blend. You probably know more than me. Um, is that something you're seeing? Definitely. As things tend to happen, you know, you talk about some, some secular shift in tech, right? In the beginning, it was like a cloud migration where you move off of your on-prem environments uh, and you do a cloud migration. But the reality is that a lot of um, organizations that have on-prem environments, they don't fully migrate to the cloud. They start having a, a cloud presence and they keep their on-premise environment because migrating it is fairly hard. The same thing applies to monoliths and microservices. If you're, you're brand new to the game, you're, you're a tech startup or you're a tech company that uh, was founded fairly recently, you might decide that you're gonna build microservices from the get-go, in which case, kudos to you. But if you're a well-established tech firm, breaking a monolith, so to speak, um, isn't so easy. And what, what ends up happening in a lot of cases is that some pieces of functionality would be peeled off the monolith and built as microservices. New functionalities would be built as microservices but they would all revolve around this existing monolith that will take a very long time to actually be um, put away or completely uh, broken apart. So like, like you said, at the end of the day, what ends up happening is that we get a hybrid environment with, with at least one very larger kind of central monolith and a lot of microservices that surround. 
Did you say you, uh, one of your focuses is with services? Correct. That's uh, my, my uh, role definition is service observability. Okay. Service observability. Um, so in the service, let's, I guess, let's have an example. What's an example service we could talk about? Ooh, honestly, almost anything. The, the easiest way to think about an individual service, code repo, right? Anything that you would store in, in a single code repo. And I, I don't want to get too deep in the variants of like, oh, I have a mono repo or we do something else. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a single unit of ro- code that can run independently, um, you know, takes okay. inputs and provides outputs. Well, the run independently is interesting because it's also something that um, I'm guessing, I mean, lots of assumptions here, but uh, if it's a single repo, it's probably one team and it can be tested in isolation as well. And then, um, and then is it monitored in isolation? Do you monitor a service by itself or as part of a collective or whatever? I, I love that question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of talk through the, the early part of your question and going to get to the end because it gets more and more interesting. By and large, um, unless we're talking about a monolith, so if, if we're talking about a microservice-based environment, uh, microservices are generally owned by a single team. When there's uh, cross-ownership, it also means that there, uh, tends to be, there tend to be issues in operations. Who's on call? How do we determine like, if we need to roll back a version? When there's single ownership, things tend to be much, much easier in that respect. Monoliths do kind of require their own uh, principles of operations and monitoring, et cetera. We can cover that separately. But then going into how we monitor those um, when and test and monitor, right? Um, we can and should do both. And that's, that's kind of our approach um, to services where we say, okay, on the one hand, we want to make sure that you have uh, golden signals, right? So like the ability to know throughput, error rates, latencies on a per service basis. And those are independent. There's no reason to muddy those across multiple services. When, when a single service fails, for example, or slows down, we want to know that. Like We want to yeah. pinpoint that this particular service is the one that's failing. The same thing applies for uh, testing, right? And testing could be anything here from unit testing to uh, testing in the CI pipeline to um, synthetic testing for APIs, all of those, uh, we want to make sure that they're very localized um, to that service. But a service can't really be taken out of context. And when you have a production failure, figuring out where that is requires the entire mesh of services, right? And it requires knowing what service actually fails. If I go back to the store analogy that uh, you brought up earlier, right? Like if a service goes down, is that equivalent to a store like not being able to open? It's exactly that. And the question is why, right? Like if a user is complaining like, hey, I tried to click checkout on this e-commerce website and I'm getting an error. There could be 30, 40 services on the back end that power that specific checkout request. Figuring out which one of them is failing right now for this user requires much more nuanced tooling. And this is where things like distributed tracing come into play, where for a given request, we're able to see how it traverses all microservices or all services involved and see where most of the time is spent, where errors are coming from. Um, We're able to compile um, 
you know, all of the error call stacks from all services into a single place, all of the log lines across multiple services into a single place. And that's where you look at it and you're like, oh, wait, I know exactly what's going on. Let me go to that, the service and fix it. Or I know what service is failing. Let me go figure out what's going on. Someone deployed bad code. We didn't do enough testing. Um, something here is amiss. Let me go deeper in, into whatever is happening. I, I need to upscale the infrastructure, right? Yeah, that example was great about uh, talking about really how even if you tested the heck out of the service, it always something always goes wrong. So something's going to go wrong in the system, and you have to uh, you have to figure out where where to fix it. And it it might actually be multiple places. Uh, yeah. But, huh. Interesting. And I was thinking, I was actually thinking that the, my analogy wasn't that great because. It isn't like one store goes down. It's like all of your stores suddenly can't print receipts or something like that. Uh, that's a bad thing. So. That, it, it, and it's exactly that. It becomes much more nuanced because it's not a single store. It's multiple and it's not a single like the, the you know, it's not the, the lock on the door and like no one can enter. It's a whole set of uh, systems that operate in tandem where <laughs> printing receipts and scanning barcodes and what I'm not I'm not an expert on like brick and mortar stores. But, like, <laughs> Yeah. I think we're talking about the same thing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds fascinating and fun and also sort of terrifying. Uh, I'm, I'm like suddenly like, no, I don't want to do a startup anymore because this sounds <laughs> too scary. But it grows out, It grows over time, right? People don't start with like tons of monitoring, tons of telemetry and tons of services. They they start small and build up, right? Uh, precisely. It's, it's an ever-evolving practice and... Um, w- I'll use a phrase I learned from my engineering counterparts, one of the smartest people I get to work with and truly a privilege. Um, he likes to talk about modes of failure, like how how well do we understand how our services fail, right? And obviously, like our services are perfect. We don't have any failures. And, um, okay, usually people laugh when I say that. Um, I'll add it in the laugh track later. <laughs> we add more and more monitoring and more and more nuanced monitoring the better we get familiar with how our services operate and when they fail. For example, um, we can all start with uh, alerting, and again, I'm, I'm, I mentioned them earlier, the golden signals, right? They're, it's the red metrics, RED, right? Requests, errors, and duration. It's a very well-respected framework to say, okay, this is how I detect that something is off. They don't necessarily tell me what is wrong, but they help me figure out that something is wrong, right? Um, it, it's very good for, uh, for detection. Um, but then as we understand, okay, this particular microservice, um, is constrained on CPU, right? So like when, when throughput goes up, uh, it uses more CPU. So we know it, that's its failure mode. Like we need to alert on uh, CPU of the underlying machines, or alternatively, it uses a lot of memory. So we need to alert on memory, um, things like that. So we become more and more nuanced as we go. Um, and we evolve our monitoring. We evolve the, the metrics that we have on it, or we evolve the logs uh, that we kind of develop for it. And we have better and better visibility. And we learn this over time. And every time we, we deploy a new service, um, we kind of go through the same process. We get better at it. We learn faster from, uh, from one to the other. Um, and with that, we also develop better and better practices, right? So I don't know if you've um, you've ever considered SLOs, right? Service level objectives, which is a way to reason about your production environment over time. We, we can also support that. And we, we reason about the world 
on those terms. I'm happy to kind of dive deeper into that. Just a little bit. So essentially, in this, uh, it kind of stems from the Google SRE handbook, right? It's uh, published a couple of years ago. It's uh, freely available online. Um, the idea there is that um, a company can have a service level agreement that defines what happens when things start to uh, break. And then we have under the service level agreement, service level objectives. Each objective say, okay, here is the actual definition of a metric, the threshold that if it crosses, like let's say I have uptime, I have some way of like assessing uptime for, for a service. If that goes under 99.9% for the last month, then I'm not in, not in accordance with my um, service level agreement. And I need to go provide my, my customers um, with some explanation of what's going on or, or some compensation or anything like that. The agreement defines uh, those. The service level objectives are the things that say, okay, um, here's how we measure that. And here is how we say, okay, 99.9 of what? And how do we define that? And over what time spans? Uh, those get refined over time as well, right? So like we can start with something okay. very simple zero errors but then over time we'll learn okay like we do have every time we we restart our application we get some errors but those don't impact users so we're going to define those uh definitions get more and more nuanced over time what software doesn't have errors um exactly so, <laughs> the one of the things i was thinking about when you're talking about this is um is just things get as people scale uh, you were talking about the the three requests, errors, and duration. I was, uh, and then I was thinking about just some of the stuff's going to happen just as people get more popular. If they get more customers, they're going to get more traffic, and things are under more stress. Is there some case where you're just kind of watching things and going, "Well, this none of these are a problem, but something is going to break here soon." Um, is there? How do you deal with that? Is, does monitoring help there? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's one of the, um, if we kind of continue on the e-commerce example, it's something that um, almost every e-commerce provider that I've, I've worked with um, worries about. And even in, in my past lives at Wirecutter, um, because everyone worries about Black Friday, right? And, and the, the brick and mortar analogy is, is as good here, right? Because you have all these people who are waiting to get in. You want to make sure that all of your systems are stable enough um, and that they operate correctly. And there are a few aspects to this. One of them is preparatory. How do we make sure, how do we know beforehand that we're ready? And for that, we do a lot of uh, stress testing, load testing, um, all of the, the red metrics that we have and the more nuanced understandings that we develop over time are very, very relevant to, to know that, right? So we do stress testing. We see for a given level of throughput, What's our error rate? What's our latency? Is it acceptable? Is it not acceptable? And then during the actual event, right at, at the, these peak moments, if something goes awry, monitoring is our entryway. It's like this is the first thing that happens um, or this is how we detect uh, the first sign of a problem is with monitoring tools. So a, lo a lot of our uh, e-commerce based uh, customers um, or you know, other uh, st streaming services uh, media companies, they all have these events that they look forward to and they spend months in preparation, uh, even if it's a day, even if it's a few hours, they spend months preparing for that and they um, they rely heavily, very, very heavily on monitoring. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, one of the things you brought up earlier was when you get more familiar with uh, a particular service or your system altogether, you're going to be paying attention to things like uh, CPU uh, loads and uh, memory balance, you know, memory usage and stuff. And those are things that I, I imagine on different services, you're going to probably all the services, eventually you're going to care about that because we all know with computers, when either of those things starts getting pegged, things go bad um, and bad things happen. And it's not a software problem. It's a basically just junk you, thrashing and stuff like that happens. Uh, yep. So interesting. Uh, now I'm not so scared. Uh, yeah, this sounds pretty good. Um, now, one of the things I was always curious about is, um, is logging. I rely heavily on logging to, to debug systems. Um, but, uh, I've got a distributed system that this, these things, those logs are all over the place. Um, does, does retrieving logs in any of these error cases happen through APM systems? So, um, let me start by saying yes. Uh, traditionally, log management solutions and APM solutions have been like distinct offerings. If you you look at the markets for both, um, historically it used to be different companies that did it, different services where log management solutions centralize all of your logs into one place, make it easier for you to query, which becomes helpful in a distributed environment, right? If you you have only like one service, then accessing the logs isn't that hard. APM solutions help you with the pinpointing, right? We mentioned distributed tracing, things like that. But as time evolves, they become closer and closer. Um, Datadog was one of the first companies to offer what we call trace ID injection, which is an easy way to associate a, a, a trace, right? A, a flame graph that has a visual representation of a single request with the logs that are generated for that particular request. And it's a really powerful capability uh, because what it gives you is the ability to identify, okay, this one user complained about this one thing. I've found their session. I've found the like the bad click. I can see the trace and I get all of the log lines from all of the distributed systems uh, that were part of that request. And I get all oh. of the messages. I'm like, oh, this is what's going on. Oh, right? that's, that's really cool. Yep. Yeah, because that's often really hard, even on a couple systems. Having, uh, I mean, I'm I'm often dealing with just two systems talking to each other. That's hard enough uh, to have a logs because I mean, even if you've got, even if I have the logs, it's hard to align them because the the clocks are a little different, so the timing's yep. off a little bit and uh, things like that. Uh, interesting. It's, there's always something like that. So what ends up happening is that APM solutions and log management solutions become closer and closer, and you can easily see that in the market. Uh, here at Datadog, we offer both. More and more companies um, are starting to offer similar solutions where they, they kind of merge the two or they may, they have distinct offerings, but under the same roof. Let's go to back to our, our service that has a team in a, a service in a repo. We've got a team uh, handling failures for it and stuff. Is it the same team that developed it or is maintaining it? Or is that is that often two teams now? Oof. That really know? varies from organization to organization. It can change dramatically um, based on you know any company's approach uh, to software development and to releasing to production. So you could have a dedicated SRE group that is heavily involved and is very distinct um, from the development team and uh, having a separate testing team in some cases, or you can have uh, um, an organization that fully adopts like a DevOps mentality 
where <laughs> developers do all the operations and they own everything, including testing. Um, it really varies from from one organization to another. Okay, so it's it's similar to testing that it it yeah because I've seen that a lot in testing that there's some teams that are, that do the development and testing all all at once and then others that some other team does it and there's good arguments on both sides <laughs> it really depends so uh, interesting now since I'm like I'm not an expert in this area is there something that we haven't covered that's interesting that we should talk about. There are two things that I kind of want to mention there. there maybe it's actually one thing. Um, you, you said earlier, despite the best testing, right? Something will always break in production. Like if it's, if it's because of the higher load, if it's because of this like weird edge case that no one thought about, if it's because users are just weird and they'll, they'll always push your systems uh, to the edge. One of the most common um, kind of types of failures uh, that we've we've detected is releasing a new new version of code, right? So when someone deploys a new version of code and it looks great and it passes tests and everything, um, they roll it out and something starts to fail. Um, to that end, we we want to make sure that we provide the best workflows around that. Like, how do we detect as fast as we can, like within a minute or within two minutes? that this new version of code um, is broken. And then that leads me to the second topic that I wanted to mention, which is automatic detection, right? Like uh, we, we talked about oh, yeah. telemetry, right? It's the raw data and then monitoring or all of these conditions that we can add and tools that we can add on top of it. One level above that is uh, AI ops, right? So um, artificial intelligence ops. Um, in that world, we do automatic detection. We do automatic alerting and some in, in the future, um, auto remediation is something that we, we hear demand for. But it's definitely like an exciting part um, of what we work on, the ability to, to go to our users and to tell them, hey, you might want to keep your eye out for this particular thing that's happening right now. Um, you don't have, you haven't set up alerts for it because it's brand new or it's different or someone hasn't thought about it yet. And we detected this anomaly, you know, you want to keep your eyes on. Yeah. And th that actually be cool. So does that happen? Like, like I'm, I'm imagining, uh, I, you know, I, like I got a recommender system or something like that, that it's an extra thing. That's, that's cool. We make a little more money on it. Um, so we roll out a tweak to that and suddenly everybody's latency doubles or something. Um, it'd be cool to have a system just like see that and say, now we're going to roll back the code. Uh, that's just bad. Is that something that people have? Uh, that's exactly where we're going towards. So okay. we already have tools that help you detect, um, you know, spikes in error rates, spikes in latency, uh, the introduction of a new type of error, all, all these things. Um, automatic rollback is something that we want to be very careful with. Um, I know a lot of engineers. I don't know a lot of engineers who will like yield the, the power to do a rollback to a fully automated system, but they would put the like a big red button in the alert where they say, okay, <laughs> here's here's how you do it. When the alert happens, have a human involved to like make that uh, do that press. That is something that uh, we support and some of our users have kind of um, implemented. Now, you also mentioned anomaly detection. Um, that's that is interesting to just to see. I'm guessing uh, it's a lot. You're collecting a lot of data. Something is weird is going on that that is different than it was before. 
and people might not even know to check for it. Is that is that something that is there tools for that then? Oh yes, definitely. Um, the the field of uh, AI op that I mentioned uh, right now um is developing fairly quickly there are more and more kind of tools that are popping up in the market more companies that are dedicated uh to that sort of thing everyone looks at it slightly differently uh but at the end of the day it boils down to various types of anomaly detection reading more and more types of telemetry and making sure that uh you, you reduce or we reduce noise to a minimum because um if you have this cascading failure, for example, right? like I have 30 services and they're all uh, breaking together, either I'm going to need to spend like the first five minutes of an incident just like clicking through all of these alerts or something helps me and says, okay, all of these 30 alerts are actually one issue. Here's the root cause for it. Like automatic root cause analysis is uh, something that we do. Um, is a very popular type of feature because it saves a lot of time decluttering. Like, how do I deal with this mess of data that, that's thrown at me? And I look at just this like little golden nugget signal that says, this is what I need to focus on. Oh, neat. That actually sounds exciting. Uh, there's a lot of cool things coming in the field then. Um, uh, definitely. Oh, <laughs> it's a lot more than I, than I realized. So cool. This has been fascinating. Uh, I'm more and more excited about uh, uh, the monitoring thing. It's a lot more than just, can you just monitor it and make sure my website doesn't go down? Um, there's a lot more going on there. Definitely. So thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Omri, for that great interview. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring. Go to testingcode.com slash PyCharm. Save time with PyCharm. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Become a supporter at testingcode.com support to get notified as soon as a new episode is out. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. <laughs>